Today, we are pleased to be joined by Mendocino County Health Officer, Dr. Andy Corrin, who will give us an update about the COVID-19 of our COVID-19 status of our county. After that, we'll open up to take a few questions from the media concerning the current surge of the COVID-19 in our community. Now, beginning with the health update, Dr. Corrin, you have our attention. Thank you. So we're seeing fires to the east and terrible drought in the western part of our county. And the surge I spoke of last week has worsened dramatically. Uh, Kirk, can we have the first slide of the uh, epidemiologic graph? Last week, I reported the case increases from April low of two cases per day to July 31st at 21.4 per 100,000 cases per day. Last week, we ended with 38 cases per day. Oh, I'm not seeing, well, maybe I'm just covering it up with something. No, that's good. So last week we saw uh, it ended with uh, 38 cases per day. And uh, for this week, um, just to let you know, yesterday we had 95 new cases, which is the highest uh, single day report we've had since the pandemic began. And I'm projecting that the average daily case rate this week will be in the mid 50s. Northern California as a whole has had the worst case rates in the state. And now with uh, there's a surge in Humboldt, Del Norte, and Lake County that's actually worse than ours. Uh, and Kirk, could you put up the next slide? That'll demonstrate that. So you can see the green is Lake County. They're way up here. Uh, Humboldt County is in the middle. And uh, let's see if I can see it. Uh, I think we are the next. Oh, no, I think that may be Del Norte. I'm, I'm having trouble with. Here we go. Red no. is Mendocino. That's right. Red, I don't. Yeah. We don't have uh, Del Norte on here. Sonoma County is down here, and the and the composite for California is here. So we've gotten uh, to be a lot more uh, infections, um, and the uh, the case rates that we're reporting here may be actually uh, higher because there's less testing, but they also may be less than the total numbers that we're getting because of less testing. It's in other words, it's a little less reliable. However, when we look at hospitalizations, when a certain percentage of people get sick, they're going to go to the hospital. And that's not hidden by so much uh, uh, data parsing through different platforms. And uh, so we can estimate a certain number of all cases will reliably wind up in the hospital. And uh, in the past, uh, we've had, I'll quote again, in July, our hospitalizations ranged around 11. Yesterday, we counted 22 cases uh, from Mendocino County residents in all the hospitals. Eight were in the ICU, uh, plus an actual, uh, an additional two came in from Humboldt, which I don't think is on this slide. But you can see the hospitalization numbers are in red, and this is higher than it was uh, in uh, uh, December, January, February. These numbers in blue are in the ICU, and you see one peak that's up here, but you can see that they're clearly climbing and they're again higher than they were in the winter surge. So we have uh, definitely got a surge that is, uh, we don't see the end to that. Um, we have also suffered our 54th death in the last week, um, and uh, we are all uh, mourning that death. There have been no outbreaks, but we see more community spread. As I said, retail and restaurant workers frequently will come in, uh, not even thinking that they have symptoms. And some of them have mild symptoms they don't think could be COVID, uh, but they spread it around. 
Uh, last year, the, uh, the soaring number of cases and hospitalizations fell very quickly because of vaccines, uh, but many have hesitated to get their vaccines or resisted, and this is a very safe and effective step. Over 95% of hospitalized people are unvaccinated, and these people are putting themselves at risk, are now filling our ambulances, hospitals, and ICUs. All of us may soon have trouble with access to intensive care unit or medical care. Um, and that this is also consistent with the state numbers of unvaccinated uh, at, a, at a rate of, uh, who, who get hospitalized at a rate of 12 times those who are vaccinated. 88% of cases in Mendocino County are unvaccinated. Again, the state estimates that the unvaccinated account for seven times the cases of the vaccinated. So the vaccines are our major protection they are effective to keep us from severe disease, hospitalization, and death. Um, these are also numbers that are, that are coming up. Are they safe? You tell me. Every major medical, nursing, hospital, and healthcare organization is now recommending vaccines for the old and for the young and for women who are or want to become pregnant. This is the way to protect ourselves safely from the, from the COVID. So for those who have not been vaccinated, please take the shot for you, for your family, and for the community. The Delta variant is very different. It's more contagious and more virulent, more severe diseases. We're seeing it in younger people in the hospital reflecting their lower vaccine uptake, especially in the 18 to 49, but also on up to the 65-year-olds who should be getting vaccinated. We're also seeing some more children with symptoms now, and nationwide they're reporting more children in hospitals, and there have been several hundred who've passed away as a result of COVID. Um, Post-vaccine positive tests have increased, but remember this is due to the fact that we have such a higher number of vaccinated people. Um, so the vaccines are not 100% effective, nothing, else, nothing is. Uh, but the efficacy still is in the 85 to 95% range. We're not seeing evidence of waning efficacy among the majority of people. However, this virus is contagious enough that we see post-vaccinated people able to spread the disease, and that is new. Uh, so again, uh, uh, another group that we're concerned about even after they're vaccinated is elderly and others with immune system issues. Uh, who continue to be somewhat more susceptible of, of uh, after full vaccination. And so these people should be wearing masks, even double masks, and avoiding mixing indoors or outside. And their families and others in their households should also take a little extra caution uh, that they don't bring the, vac the uh, COVID home to those vulnerable people. Last night, the FDA, as I'm sure many of you have read, gave approval for boosters of the mRNA vaccines to people who are severely immune compromised and used as, a, as, a, as an example, those with organ transplants um, that may extend to others who are on cancer therapies or even uh, rheumatological therapies. Uh, but this number of people is less than 3% of all of the United States uh, adults, according to the CDC. And, um, and that is, doesn't come near the, uh, the um, numbers of people we need to get vaccinated to get more to a community immunity. Uh, the there, there'll be a panel of CDC advisors, uh, I think meeting today to discuss how to roll this out. For example, who will actually qualify 
how to verify and who should administer, make those decisions, administer those uh, vaccines. Um, and even in this group, the efficacy seems to drop from 95% uh, to 84% in one study. Uh, the next slide shows uh, vaccinations in uh, Mendocino County. We're proceeding at a slowly increasing rate, but it is increasing lately. And, uh, and you can see that here, the blue line is uh, our numbers and the state, the uh, gray line is the states. We're very close to the state uh, in this slide. As of August 9th, we had distributed 94,919 doses. Uh, that involved 62.1% um, of those who are eligible were fully vaccinated. 54.3% uh, of the total population are fully vaccinated. And this is important because they're talking about to get to um, community immunity or herd immunity with the increased uh, transmissibility of the uh, virus. Uh, they've talked in the past about 70% of the population being fully vaccinated. Uh, we're now talking in the range of 85 to 90% of the population being fully vaccinated. Uh, of those people who are eligible for vaccination over 12 years old, 72% of uh, Mendocino people have had at least one dose. From an equity perspective, we exceed the state among Hispanic population and uh, in the lowest resourced population, uh, as well as those between 50 and 64 years old, it's still not enough. Uh, people are now seeing how safe and effective vaccines are and more are beginning to get in line to be vaccinated. So with this surge uh, occurring, what have been the responses? And I'll just review these briefly. On July 26, the CDPH mandated all employees in acute and long-term facilities, clinics, and congregate care settings must wear medical grade masks. And we uh, also released orders last week for mandatory masking indoors in public places. And I've been recommending elderly and those with immune compromising conditions mask outdoors or double mask, especially in crowded areas. And I've been working with some of the uh, venue operators uh, for outdoor events, such as uh, the concerts in the park to voluntarily increase education and encourage more physical distancing. On August 5th, the CDPH released new orders to mandate that all healthcare workers must now show proof of their vaccination by September 30th. Uh, and there will be some narrow exemptions for religious belief or written medical exam and regular testing will be needed for them. Adventist Health uh, here in Mendocino County, but I think uh, uh, system-wide is now implementing this as a new policy. And we look forward to others in the healthcare field, but also uh, in other uh, fields to implement this type of a policy. Next week, we're releasing orders for our fire EMTs and first responder organizations to require verification of vaccination of their employees or to regularly test those people who qualify for a narrow list of exemptions and that will be effective on September 30th. We met with those groups and, uh, and got a very supportive response. The state, in order to protect our schools and keep them safe to open, in addition to universal masking, has now mandated vaccine verification or regular testing uh, for all school staff uh, who qualify for a, an exemption. Um, 
Note that while the school children generally get less ill, there is an increase in the country of, um, of uh, symptomatic children. And we're seeing that here as well. The county will soon in, uh, release guidance strongly recommending that all employers, including government agencies in Mendocino County, develop and implement uh, uh, policies, human resource policies, to require vaccine verification or frequent testing for employees uh, who are exempt. Our county HR is already working on these new policies, and we're hoping that the other uh, governmental agencies and other um, and other uh, businesses and employees will follow. Uh, but also, uh, we have on the agenda to release um, the uh, um, guidance for all employers to adopt a vaccine verification or uh, for exempt employees, a testing program. We're, because we've been so inundated with more cases in the last couple of weeks, we've sought state assistance through their response testing team, like a strike team. And we're increasing, uh, or we're requesting an increase in our OptumServe testing, which goes around the county because we, we know and we've heard that we need more testing. Our, our testing numbers have gone up uh, 300% in, in some areas. Uh, so the advice uh, that we want everybody to understand, again, because our uh, contact investigation, contact tracing team is very stretched, is that we're getting uh, help from the state as well as calling on volunteers from the community and reassigning county workers to help. Uh, but if you have symptoms, stay home and get a test vaccinated or not vaccinated, if you have symptoms, please get a test. If you test positive, you need to isolate and then cooperate with our contact investigators uh, team for advice and also to protect the community and also uh, to help offer assistance with food or housing that you may need in order to maintain your isolation. If you know you've had a close contact within six feet of a positive, uh, a person who's tested positive, for over 15 minutes during an entire day, test and quarantine if unvaccinated. If fully vaccinated uh, uh, and you're a close contact, you do not need to quarantine, but should be very careful around elders and immune compromised people, mask and distance, and test it three to five days to see if you've become infected, in which case you would be formally isolated and uh, in order to protect others, uh, at work and in the household. <clears throat> Remember that the non-pharmacological protections for this respiratory disease are still effective. Masking indoors in public places and outdoors in crowds, except while eating or drinking. And when you're not eating or drinking and just ordering, uh, please keep your, your masks on to protect the, uh, the people who are working there as well as others who are eating there. Ventilation, uh, which is provided by being outdoors or opening windows indoors, or even using uh, fans indoors, but with the fans pointed out the window so we can pull the uh, air more gently in uh, to the room. And if you use uh, air conditioners, don't uh, recirculate the air uh, because we want more air to dilute those COVID particles. Keep your distances, that is still good guidance. And as far as gatherings, we don't have orders about that at this point, it's individual choice. Uh, but we want to avoid large gatherings. Outdoor is safer. Avoid eating. Keep the gatherings short. 
um, and uh, try and maintain uh, your distances. And always remember the hand hygiene and respiratory hygiene. So in summary, COVID Delta surge is here. It's increased cases tremendously in Mendocino County. Our, our hospitals staffing is being stretched and stressed. Please get vaccinated. They're safe and effective. Now is the time. If you have symptoms, stay home, get tested, follow isolation or appropriate quarantine recommendations and cooperate with our contact investigation team. Uh, we can survive this together without closing down the economy is the hope, without shutting down recreation or schools. But we need the cooperation of everyone in our community to take, uh, to take very personal, uh, to protect themselves and protect the people around them and, and protect the community with the lessons we learned last year. And I believe this can be done. And with that, I'll stop my presentation and be here for any questions. Thank you, Dr. Korn. Uh, first up from the media, we're going to have Alicia. Hey there. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. All right. Thank you very much. Um, this is Alicia Bales from KZYX. My first question, you, you said there are 22 cases in the hospital with eight in the ICU. Uh, that's incredibly concerning. That's more cases than I think we've seen so far during the entirety of the pandemic. How is How are our hospitals doing and do they have and are they activating emergency surge capacity uh, plans? Yeah, the hospital staff is very stretched. Um, some of these, we have three of our community people in hospitals, four who are actually out in other uh, in other community hospitals or in other hospitals at UCSF, Kentfield, Sutter, Sacramento, and so forth. Um, but it, there's no question that it is stretching our hospital staff to the limits. Uh, we have not uh, gotten so many in the ICU that we've gotten less than, we're now around 25% of our ICU capacity. And if you remember the um, stay at home orders of last winter, uh, the critical range was 15% uh, or less. And the uh, CDPH is releasing some new uh, advice. They've just given me a, a draft uh, regarding uh, hospital transfers and so on. But it, it's, uh, it's not only the numbers of cases we have, but the exhaustion of the uh, staff. It's very hard for them to find uh, replacement staff. The, the uh, state uh, a, uh, a list that they could we could uh, call on and, and ask and, and they'd be available. Uh, that number has dried up quite a bit. Um, uh, we're using registries more. The Aventa system has a large system. They can draw people from one part of the state back to another part of the state if it's necessary and available. Uh, but it is, you know, it is a, a crisis uh, situation at this point. All right. I mean, I guess the only silver lining there is that healthcare workers aren't as at risk of uh, a severe illness and death if they're vaccinated, which they were before. Um, so my other question is, I know that over the last two weeks, we've had four additional deaths from coronavirus in our community. And I wonder with the, uh, the, the new approval of booster shots uh, for, of the coronavirus vaccine, if uh, two of the people who died in our community were fully vaccinated, and I wonder if these folks would have been uh, candidates for those booster shots and if, the, if that would have made or could have made a difference in their outcome. Yeah, I don't 
I don't know about the specific cases. I'm not their physician, and I, I don't want to speculate about, about that. Uh, but it may have been. There were other uh, issues and frequently are in people who are vaccinated and get sick enough to be in the hospital. Um, so there are other what we call comorbidities. Um, but yes, if, if the CDC feels that we should be doing uh, booster shots for some immune compromised people, we'll go ahead and do it. Um, the data is pretty thin, the demand is great, and, uh, and I'm not sure how beneficial it will be. But it looks like it will be from the point of view of looking at immunoglobulins, globulins, uh, but that's not the only immune uh, factor that goes into the totality of immunity. So, so there's some debate, but I think if the FDA is going forward with it and they'll come out with clarity about who should be uh, get boosters and who should not, uh, we will definitely, you know, push that in our community. All right. And people will be able to get boosters from their own physicians or from county um, vaccine events? So how, how it'll be rolled out is still a question, because certainly for the immune compromised person, that requires some knowledge of their medical, uh, medical uh, chart. And uh, probably it will be their, their provider who says this person has these conditions, doesn't even have to, usually we don't require them to outline the conditions that they have because that's personally uh, protected health information. Uh, so how that will, how that will work, I, I can't say at this point. All right, thank you. Thank you, Alicia. Next up will be Danila. Hello, thank you for having this meeting. And uh, I really appreciate the fact that we got to ask a lot of questions last time that was very beneficial to the community and a lot of positive feedback. Um, so my question today is again on schools. I know we talked about this before, but now that we're seeing this surge that we've never seen before. Also, um, you've stated that this, is, this Delta variant, I believe is in, infecting children more than it had before. We're seeing those numbers on the chart you had said previously that there was no cases, you know, Mendocino County that were children hospitalized, but you are seeing that across the United States and some even deaths. What, I mean, I know that the president, California governor, CDPH, and you as a health officer want to see children in school and that there was funds allocated to make it safer, um, seeing that there are vaccines for staff, but there are not vaccines for 12 and under. Uh, what, I mean, what, what changes, what changes are being, you know, made that you can assure that, you know, we are safer today with this current surge than we were last year when we went to distant learning? That's a good question. Last year, we went to distance learning. Uh, there were no vaccines around and a lot of the teachers were not vaccinated until uh, the pandemic surge started to decrease in uh, March and April. We now have uh, the teachers uh, the vast majority of them are, and, and staff, I should add, the vast majority of them are uh, vaccinated and uh, pretty soon all of them will have to show uh, uh, proof of vaccination or they'll be tested on a very regular basis. We're also instituting um, universal masking and uh, testing that will be um, screening testing, not only for the teachers, but also in certain situations for the children. Uh, and we think that uh, all in all, those those interventions should protect our students and their families and the community from any unusual spread. 
while we've had some uh, more children who've tested positive for COVID, none of them have been severely ill. None of them have required hospitalization here or being sent out of the county for hospitalization. So um, I think the, the, uh, the key is to, to keep them protected uh, with the adults around them being vaccinated and using masks and, uh, and, and those kinds of things within the school. The other thing that we're gonna be doing within the schools to try and keep them open is not to necessarily send every close contact home. Uh, if we know that everybody, or the, the, the people who were in contact with a positive case, if that happened within a school where it was supervised and both parties were wearing masks, then it will be okay to keep the uh, close contact in school, testing regularly with the mask on, and we'll of course watch for any symptoms. And if they seem like they are infected, uh, they won't be back in school. But I think we have mitigation efforts uh, that should help and we'll just have to see. Uh, the Delta variant clearly is much more contagious. Luckily, we have not seen hospitalizations uh, growing here in Mendocino County for children. And, um, and so, you know, I think we're better, we're, we're better protected at this point. Thank you for answering that. We had a lot of people, like 50% <laughs> who remembers asking that question. Um, so my other question is a lot of people, and I know that Kirk Ford had mentioned this as a possibility on the graph, there's some empty space there, maybe where we had the color tiered system before, but a lot of people for months now would like to see the numbers that you are giving on the you know, case positive and the hospitalizations um, show if vaccinated or not. They would really like to see that number um, displayed for whatever reason they find that valid and just want to know if that's an option to add to the graph. Well, we'll, we'll take, that, uh, take that back. The number of people who are vaccinated and wind up hospitalized uh, is too small to actually appear on the graph probably, but we can look at how it should appear and how we can present that in the future. So that's a good suggestion. Okay. Yeah, just as a little bit of background, the, there's a couple of spaces on that daily stat tracker where we had uh, like percent of positives uh, testing. And then when, when we stopped reporting on that because we're using the state for testing data, um, that just kind of going to waste. And so I want to put some data there, but I, I, we don't have a lot of room to put like a, a full graph but maybe a couple of data points. Um, if we're seeing a lot of um, viewers or readers wanting certain data and we happen to have that data, we could, we could potentially put it there. So that was one of the things that it might be good to, to hear from all the outlets to get an idea of what your readers or, or what your listeners or watchers want to see. And then if we have that data, we can, we can put that on the stat tracker going forward. That's, that was kind of my intention with that. Yeah, even that number that you guys keep mentioning over and over that changes sometimes weekly, the 88%, the 99%, you know, something even like that would be helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Danoa. Next up is going to be Matt. Hey, guys. Thanks for hosting today. Uh, Doc, my first question uh, I've just been thinking about our place in history at the moment. We're, we're in the aftermath of one of the most significant global vaccination efforts. 
um, or in the summer, vitamin D levels are high. Our social gatherings are more likely outside than inside. Why, why is this surge happening now? And how is this surge more significant than last winter's when some of those elements weren't there? I'd love your thoughts. Well, the, the, the Delta variant is far more contagious. That's the biggest confounding factor here. It's really very different than what we were uh, dealing with last year. Um, and uh, another thing is I'm, I'm not quite so sure that even though it's summer, everyone is outside because the, the summer is so hot, many people are running indoors to, to air conditioning. And so that may contribute also to the high rates. Um, I think that people are vaccinated who definitely wanted to get vaccinated, but there's almost half of the population, there's 40% of the population who are not vaccinated. And, and they are the ones who are so vulnerable to the variant. It's just whipping through that community. And it's you know not only creating cases that we don't know about because a lot of those people are not testing either, uh, but it's being spread about by by the people who are unvaccinated, um, and uh, and so it's it's this sort of infection that's going on underneath that we really can't tell until until we do get someone who tests and gets positive or they wind up in the hospital. So the answer to your question, I think, is the the contagiousness of this Delta variant is huge. Um, what they're saying from this, from the uh, uh, biologic immunologic side is that the decrease in efficacy of the vaccines is not that significant, uh, but, the, but the, the, the estimates of the variant's contagiousness are enough to produce this kind of a problem. Thanks for that, Doc. And you sort of nudged up against my following question, and it has to do with the Delta variants ability or inability perception and anxieties associated with the Delta being able to that phrase breakthrough post-infection um, positivity. Uh, I've, I've read a lot of anxieties associated with that. The, yeah. the, the suggestion of the booster shots. Um, maybe you could just speak to Mendocino County residents about those concerns, this idea that this vaccine won't protect me um, I'd, I'd love to know your thoughts. Um, oh, good point. Well, we know that nothing is 100% effective. Anything, anywhere in medicine or anywhere else, nothing's 100%. So from right out of the gate, uh, these vaccines were said to be 95% effective, which is far more effective than any other vaccine I've ever seen. So that's huge. Um, the numbers of people who are having uh, the infection uh, still remain much lower than the 5% you would expect of those people who've been vaccinated. So for example, in our county, uh, let me see, I just did a rough calculation and it was 0.3% uh, of fully vaccinated people who, had, uh, who, ha who are positive. And so it should be 5%. It's less than a 10th of that. So the vaccine efficacy is extremely good and it's even better for those people who, uh, you know, to keep people out of the hospital or severely ill. Uh, is it is the uh, vaccine efficacy decreasing? No, it's the 5% is now 5% of a much greater number of people who are vaccinated. 
And so that's why we see the numbers of people who have uh, COVID after the vaccination have gone up. And, uh, and that's an important concept to understand. What the CDC, well, let me, let me put it this way. As far as boosters go, uh, it's not just the numbers or the amount of immune globulins. There are at least three different types of cells and cellular immunity that go into creating immunity itself. We use the immune globulins count as kind of a surrogate uh, to tell us you know, what we think the Im Im immunity is or the immunogenicity of the vaccine is, but it's not the total picture. So when they see some of that go down over time, uh, they may, some may say, well, that means that our uh, immunity is decreasing or the vaccine efficacy is decreasing. I'm not so sure that that's the case. Uh, you get a lot more immunity from the vaccine than you do from the illness. So that's an important concept also to understand. Um, so the reason for the, the um, recommendation for boosters that's coming out of this FDA in the last 24 hours is actually really dependent on some very few studies. Um, and, and it's unclear to me that the result of giving the boosters is significantly better because the studies are so small. And whenever we see studies that are small and singular, there's always the possibility that they were misleading for random reasons. I won't get into them, but there's a lot of reasons things are repeated before we, we set to them. We, we, we set our sights on them. The other thing is, I'm not so sure that a booster will necessarily give increased immunity to those who have problems with their immune system. So it's not a panacea to give the same vaccine a third dose and that that will be much more protective. We don't know that that's the case. What would be good is if we had a vaccine, which is in development, uh, for uh, that would be as effective as the other ones were, but specifically for Delta. And they're looking for other ways to attack these viruses that may be more effective for the Delta and for other uh, variants that come along. So there's, so there's questions about whether the boosters are going to be adequate. But the issue now is, is that the vaccine is very, very, very effective, even against the, the, um, the Delta variant. It's extremely effective at keeping people out of the hospital, keeping people from getting severely ill, and uh, keeping the death rate at a minimum. Thank you, Doc. Okay. Thank you, Matt. Next up will be Juan. Oops, I someone was muted. Um, it must have been me. Um, hi, Dr. Corin. Hi. Uh, Juan Orozco here covering for uh, Jackie Orozco about Punto Paper. Um, just a couple of things. Well, actually, one because uh, another uh, another of my um, uh, points here was uh, a suggestion that the Miller made. Uh, just so that you have a second uh, a suggestion here on um, on adding those numbers that that Danila spoke about, and maybe if we're not adding, uh, if we consider, like you said, that uh, the numbers would be so small for those that are hospitalized, maybe just the ones that are uh, vaccinated and, uh, and, and got infected, um, you know, it would be good. Uh, and, you know, you've got another sector of our community that is asking for those numbers as well. Um, and the uh, question is, um, you know, there are 
we have plans to have to have uh, public events, uh, you know, open space public events. Um, are we considering having to cancel those uh, at this point? Uh, you know, just uh, if there's any 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 conversations around having to uh, cancel any open space public events. So there haven't been discussions yet to do that by, you know, by mandate or by order. <clears throat> I, I think that, as I was saying before, I'm talking with venue operators to voluntarily, you know, emphasize the importance of protecting ourselves individually, um, maintaining the space if we can, the distance between people, making sure people are masked if there's, if certainly if they're immune compromised or if they live with somebody who's immune compromised. Um, that's good. And I would recommend with the case rates as high as they are, if I were to go to one of these events, I would wear my mask. Um, and I think what we're trying to do is, is really we've used the last year and uh, as, a, as a learning uh, 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 and preparation for what we have to go through now. It would have been nice if it was wiped out, but that's just not what nature dealt us. And so I think individuals and, and uh, uh, groups have to protect themselves. When it comes to gatherings, we want to, again, go back to the lessons we learned. Keep them small, keep them short, keep them outside, minimize the eating and drinking, because that's a, a very important um, time when transmission occurs. Um, music and singing are higher risk activities. Uh, if people are singing like a choir or something, have significant amount of distance between uh, those people and the next people, you know, uh, and, and the audience. Uh, at least 12 feet, maybe 20 feet. Uh, if they're on a stage, it should be more. Uh, there are um, masks for wind instruments that actually decrease the spread of, of uh, germs from them. So, you know, we don't want to unnecessarily impose restrictions on the community, uh, but we do want to encourage people to protect themselves and use the lessons that they learned in the last year. Yeah, I, I realize that, uh, you know, public events uh, is also, um, you know, a good thing to keep sanity from all, all this going on, you know, to, uh, to be entertained for, for a little bit. Uh, and uh, another advantage of having these events is that a lot of people get together and, uh, and can possibly um, get vaccinated or get tested. Uh, and so we're, we're, I know the city of Ukiah is uh, using that um advantage of having that, that many people so they can get tested uh and that's and that's that's our plan to continue doing that if, if possible thank you dr corn no, that's great thank you thank you Juan. uh next up is me kate hi thanks for having this um i wanted to first speak just briefly to the question about providing additional data um, I think that was a conversation that started in some comments on one of our articles. And um, I wanna share my support for the county providing any additional breakdowns of vaccinated versus not vaccinated data that is available. Um, it is one of the top questions that we get with any kind of COVID coverage. Um, I also, there was a moment in time where the county was providing on the county website, not in the actual little data graphic cards, but um, a breakdown of positive cases by zip code on a daily basis. 
And I know that's something else that often comes up um, just because those county areas are pretty broad, uh, North County versus uh, coast and or North and South Coast. Um, and so I guess just from our perspective, any additional data that you could provide more regularly would be great because it just helps provide more transparency and clarity for our readers. And we do get a range of those questions. Um, and certainly if they can't fit on the card, we're happy to go to the website and look that up if that's easier. So, um, thank you. So, in yeah, yeah. Um, and thanks for thanks so much to Kirk for noticing and for asking the question and offering that as uh, something we could discuss because it is great to be able to answer people's questions in between these meetings. And I think just having more numbers is really helpful for people to get their heads around the scope of what's going on. Um, so in terms of uh, my first question is sort of about how the county is uh, rescaling up um, in, in response to this recent surge. I know that there has been an increase in people seeking vaccines and there's also been a really significant increase in people seeking tests. And I mentioned that there's been a request for state assistance to increase OptumServe capacity, both, I don't know if that's also at Ukiah, but around the, uh, the county. Um, but my question in part about that is specific to testing. I, I would anticipate that the number of tests would only be increasing as these new policies are being implemented um, as healthcare workers and education workers and county workers and potentially, you know, people at businesses are getting tested more regularly in response to these new, new policies and are using the free OptumServe testing as the way to do that. Um, if there are plans to kind of ramp up that capacity even more so to address the anticipated increases. And also if the county's doing similar things around some of those other programs. I know, you know, back in December, we did have hotels for people to quarantine at. We had uh, bigger hours at, or longer hours at the county call center. We had longer hours at the testing places. We had more food programs. A lot of those things were ramped down in June. And so I don't know if we're, you know, reapproaching comparable levels to last winter or how the county is thinking about that response across the board. Great questions, Kate. Thank you. So, um, one of the first ways that it has um, uh, affected us from the county point of view is our contact investigator and contact tracing team. Um, and when we were down, you can imagine at two, four, 10 cases a day, uh, the people in our, in our department who were assigned to that were able to handle it and, and it, was not, it was not a big deal. Um, we still had uh, some contact investigators from the state, so our own people could cover the full weekends and they continue to do so. Um, but it, it has become really burdensome during the week because the state workers have been withdrawn um, and it's been pretty much uh, going it alone for the county, not alone, but we've had much less uh, availability of state workers. So. Um, we have put in the request and we are getting some uptake from the state to provide trained contact investigator and tracers. So our people, you know, we're one of the only counties in California that continues to make an effort to, to contact every single person who we get a positive test from. Most of the others have just given up. They can't do it. 
And we're doing it and we're doing it and we're creating these statistics because we found uh, that sometimes the state statistics are not, um, you know, there are problems that happen with platforms and so on and so forth. And we've been ahead of the ball in, in some of recognizing some of these trends because we continue to do it internally. But we can't do it all internally. So the state is, is being requested to ramp up their help for us. And they've actually uh, have rules that uh, the people they had available had to have, a, I think it's a three-month break. And so we lost a lot of employee, a lot of uh, um, state vol disaster volunteers for that. Uh, but we're uh, trying to get a contract with an organization that they have pointed us to and is contracted with them. But it will, I think it's going to cost us to get the more uh, contact investigation, investigator and tracers from them. We are, however, reaching out to the volunteers in the community and uh, hopefully they will step back up when they see the, the dire situation we're in. And, uh, and we're also uh, utilizing people from the entire county government uh, who have graciously given their time and exhausted themselves while still in many cases having to keep up the other work in their public health assignments or other assignments in other departments around, around the, the uh, uh, county government. We also have requested from the state uh, CDPH, uh, some, one of the resources they've kept is uh, what we used to call strike teams. They're now called, called response teams. And uh, I think we have one beginning next week. Uh, and we are starting to open the negotiations with OptumServe to increase uh, their resources for us. As you know, we have a um, what they call a brick and mortar site at the Ukiah Fairgrounds. And we also have a traveling team uh, that has a regular site in, uh, in um, Fort Bragg at the VA Hall. And uh, we have uh, the traveling team also goes around to two of the smaller towns uh, or cities in the county each day um, on Fridays and rotates around the, uh, around the county. Some of the uh, cities have had it twice a month, others once a month. We hope to increase that and get another traveling team so that we'll have much better uh, coverage. We do them in half day uh, segments because we, you know, we have smaller population areas. And so we, you know, exhaust the demand in a half a day. And so in order to keep up the total numbers that we need to do by contract, we rotate them around the county. So we're going to have to get back into re planning how to do that. So our, our uh, testing resources match the demand. And then the demand has gone up. It's great. Uh, we still have reserves, uh, but we're getting close to, to limiting them or to, to exceeding them. And so people have asked us and, and we're reaching out. We, we see it as an urgent situation with the, um, with the cases going up. Uh, as far as vaccination goes, uh, now the clinics and hospitals are really taking on the vaccinations in a much greater way than they, they were able to do in the early part of the year. And in addition, we have the pharmacies uh, around the county who are doing really a very good job in uh, dispensing vaccines. And we hope that they'll continue. And the county has ordered an increased number of vaccines so we can support those efforts. And we'll also be having um, our own continued vaccine events and we're gearing up along with the uh, schools 
to begin to have vaccine events actually at the schools if that's possible. And certainly with the younger kids, when that uh, when they become eligible, the five to 12 year olds, we'd like to be able to do them at the schools, which will be familiar to them and less threatening. So those are some of the ways that we're addressing. Oh, and then you had asked about other resources uh, for housing and food, and we're um, continuing or uh, re-signing those contracts at this point. Uh, Anne, did you have anything that you wanted to add to that? Yes, I was just gonna address the food. Even though the Great Plates program has ended, we are still providing food to those people who are need our help being isolated. So let's say, you've had a close contact and you either test positive or you need to quarantine because you might have tested positive, um, then you just don't have any place else to say. Let's say there's you know, a two bedroom, but five people living in it, and it's really not safe for you to go back. Then we put you in a, in a very budget hotel food because we don't want you going out to get your own food. That won't be helpful at all. So right now, for example, in the county, we have eight different people housed. And if you're interested, by the way, in volunteering for that program to deliver meals outside the door or um, to help with contact tracing, NCO is North Coast Opportunities is the place to volunteer. And that is ncoinc.org, ncoinc.org. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for clarifying that, uh, Dr. Corin and Anne. Um, and I anticipate that there will be just given with the changing policies, a pretty even further increase in testing. So I'm looking forward to uh, hearing about the county plans to do that in different parts of the county as it as they develop. Um, my second question is just sort of given that we've reached a level of cases um, in the North Coast of Northern California area that is you know, significantly higher than our previous peaks and significantly higher than what had occurred during the winter lockdown. Um, is there any discussion either within the county or within the region or statewide about um, possible metrics or you know, decision-making points that might be used. You know, we, we no longer have the tiers. We no longer have those little regional ICU percentages that we had at some point. Um, is there any consideration of making and implementing any kind of further restrictions or enforcements? And if so, you know, what, what would the measures potentially be to make those assessments and who might be having those conversations or are, is that sort of in the mix at all? Yeah, well, the state is definitely looking at that. And the first um, asset that we must protect uh, is the hospitals and ICU. So they're developing the metrics for that. And, uh, and they've, they just sent out a memo that they're doing that. I don't know, you know exactly what they're gonna be looking at. I'm sure that they're gonna be looking at uh, ICU capacity uh, as well as hospital capacity. And I think that uh, one of the things they're going to be making sure that we do, um, I surmise from from the uh, from the memo, is making sure that if we need to transfer someone, uh, then uh, another place in the in Northern California or in the state that has the room will be required, as they always do, but we'll, we'll definitely be required to admit, uh, and vice versa. We need to be. Um, we need to go be good neighbors uh, to the counties that may be suffering more than we are at a particular time and uh, hospitalize their patients. And that's going on right now. 
We've hospitalized people from Humboldt now and Lake in the past. And, uh, and we're, of course, hospitalizing some of our sickest people in the, um, in the ICE intensive care units to the south of us, San Francisco, Sacramento, Santa Rosa. So that's the first, um, the first focus that we're taking at this point. Uh, to come up the, the the blueprint, I think that'll take a little while to see how bad this surge is statewide, uh, and if it's sustained, uh, then it'll it will take a response something like it probably will take a response something like that. Okay, thanks so much. If, if you know if we could keep getting updates on those broader conversations as they develop, that would be great. And Absolutely. I, if I could just. One more thing quickly about the data question. Um, I know that Alameda County has been releasing their vaccinated, unvaccinated breakdowns as of recently. And so they might have a graphic example that's easy to use in terms of that. Um, but if the county is planning to track data around how many county employees and emergency responders, just even on a percentage level, are vaccinated or not um, as these new policies are being implemented, it would be really great to get some data around, you know, say just 60% of county employees are vaccinated, 40% are now being regularly tested or anything like that that is available. Thanks so much. Great suggestions, Kate. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. Um, we're going to go through one more round of questions with everybody. We have about six minutes left, so maybe one question per outlet, and then we'll uh, go through the list. So first up is going to be Alicia. Okay, um, great. So I'm just curious uh, if you can give us a snapshot of how vaccination rates in the county are doing. Are they increasing in response to the Delta variant and your... Um, urgent and constant requests for people to go ahead and get this vaccine. Yeah, Alicia, they are going up. Um, do we have that slide handy, um, Kurt? We have a nice slide that shows it's not dramatic, but we're seeing this. Oh, I think here it is. So we're seeing this uh, blue line. It did go up. I don't know what the difference is here. I don't think that means it's turning down. This is the state line throughout the state. It's a gradual increase. Uh, we definitely, toward the end of July, saw a significant increase and expect to see more uh, in the next month uh, for a lot of reasons, both because the mandates for vaccines, uh, but also people understanding the critical situation we're in and, um, and needing to get more people vaccinated. We, you know, again, we have the, uh, the product. It's available. If we don't have it right now, we can get it. Uh, there's not a shortage, and so those people who are eligible, we really want them to come in and uh, and get their vaccines. But we are seeing a an increase now. Thank you, Alicia. Next up uh, is going to be Danilla. All right, my question, so many, but let me give you one. <laughs> um, everything that you just um, discussed with Juan Orozco there about um, you know public events, and then you're saying that people should give themselves distance, there should be that 12 feet if it's you know on a stage, or people shouldn't be you know singing, uh, the mass, and so on. 
I mean, that just seems like the opposite that we're seeing at concerts in the park. So a lot of people have expressed concerns. Concerts in the park is coming this Sunday. Um, somebody had said, I forget now, that there was possibly um, vaccines being administered there. Could there possibly be some testing options there? And um, I had something else on that. I just went out of my brain. I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, so we do have a, a gazebo with testing and vaccines available there every Sunday. And uh, we're very happy that that's been provided uh, for us and we staff that. Um, the uh, the uh, organizers of the event have been, we, we had a, a meeting together uh, a few days ago and they came up with some other ideas, um, especially during the, uh, at, in the, uh, around the concessions to make sure that people are, um, are fully masked and, um, and to try and encourage them to maintain their, their distances. And the same thing is true, you know, in the, in the uh, listening part of the park, uh, they're gonna, I think they're gonna, they were planning to make some changes in where the speakers were uh, to try and get a little bit more spread out of the, uh, you know, of the crowd. They were considering some changes in terms of the dance floor as well. <clears throat> and they'll also be making some announcements. Uh, but this is not, a time when we're legislating and, and giving firm orders like we did earlier. And I'll just say one of the reasons for that is because of the backlash. You know, we're afraid that if we we're, we're or I, I think I wouldn't say afraid, but I, we believe that if we make a lot more orders and restrict people's movements and lives, uh, there's a lot more breaking out of that, you know, of that behavior. And we want to encourage people uh, themselves individually and as families to be as cautious as possible. Sorry, I just want to add to that. Thank you. That was very informative. Really quickly, are any of the numbers recently that, you know, 95 in one day, being that it's two weeks now related to concerts in the uh, it's hard to say that, you know, it, when we saw uh, some bumps after July 4th, we say, okay, that's the July 4th weekend, but we're we're beyond that right now, and it's it's continuing to go up. So I can't attribute it to a specific um, activity. We saw uh, a little bit of increased numbers also, uh, possibly attributed to frontier days, but it was not dramatic. And so I I can't say you know that it's that we're having outbreaks for this or outbreaks for that. It really is community spread. It's people you know giving it to their spouses or their children or vice versa. Uh, and it's happening within families. And then again, the other route of spread is people going into work uh, in service industries, servers, uh, food servers, or salespeople, and they don't know they're sick or they have such minimal symptoms. They say, well, it's just allergies or the smoke or whatever. And we really want people to understand they need to consider those minimal symptoms COVID unless proven otherwise. Thank you. Next up is Matt. Uh, okay, thanks for taking a second round here. So I'm thinking about the winter surge versus the current this is surge. KZYX Philo, KZYZ, Willits, and Ukiah. Uh, just to compare and contrast about the dynamics that contributed to last winter surge versus this one. Um, and I'm thinking about what led to the recession of last winter surge and what lessons we learned from the recession of winter surge 
that we can apply it to this one we're going through right now? That's a good question. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a, a difficult question to answer. What we had last year that we do not have this year is vaccines. And we, we played that card as hard as we could until we got to people who said, well, they didn't have the time, they were not interested, they were afraid, some resisted who are, you know, a minority who are just against the vaccines. And so we can revisit that. And what we're trying to do now, we're so convinced about the safety of the vaccine saying, look, in these areas, these people who are who are coming in contact with our most vulnerable people in the community, in the healthcare working field, uh, and also the teachers and, and so on and so forth, that they should be vaccinated. So we're, uh, you know, we're making it a little bit more, uh, we're encouraging and, uh, and, you know, uh, mandating people more to get vaccinated. That is our, that is our main card. And then the other thing are the non-pharmacologic interventions, reminding people that those work. Those really did help us last year and they will again this year, but we have to do it religiously and not just, you know, say, oh, it's not going to really help us. It does. Those are, you know, for all the respiratory diseases. Look, last year we had almost no flu and that was because of masks. It wasn't because of, you know, huge increases in vaccinations or the efficacy of those vaccines. And we know that masks really do work. And the distancing works and the hand hygiene works. All these things taken together, we can't just let the vaccines eclipse the efficacy of all the things that we do ourselves individually in our personal lives. That's taking personal responsibility. Thanks, Doc. Thank you, Matt. Next up is Juan. Hi, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I know that it's really is really good and helpful to see, uh, you know, videos and articles uh, of people, um, you know, social media uh, of a uh, change of heart, a change of uh, opinion uh, on in terms of uh, vaccinations and, you know, but um, I'm curious as in our county, you, have we seen any of that that uh, change in in attitude towards you know, from the people that have that have been getting really ill and uh, and end up hospitalized, of course, and uh, you know, do we see, or do we still have that reluctant, even from people? I mean, from people that have gotten really ill and uh, still not, you know, not giving in. Yeah, yeah. No, I think at this point, what I can say is we've definitely heard anecdotal evidence that people say, "Well, I saw so and so get really sick." I'm getting my shot. Or now I feel like it's, you know, much more accepted. I'm going to get my shot. It's kind of interesting. We had a we had a story of someone who got vaccinated and they didn't want anybody else to know they were vaccinated because there's still peer pressure in certain groups not to get it. But I think little by little people are realizing, "Hey, uh, I was afraid of the effect of vaccination on pregnancy. Now I'm hearing everybody say you should get vaccinated." If you're pregnant or you're you're intending to get pregnant, you know, so those that information is getting out there. Unfortunately, we have people in silos and they and they have their social media groups and and the uh, the, the messages, the negative messages just resound. But I think people are seeing in their own lives others who are sick and uh, and were not vaccinated and how sick they got and even young people who are sick. 
We had somebody who was in his 20s and was in the ICU, and uh, it's, it's just horrible to see that. So I think if people understand that, they will be changing. They are changing. It's just happening, not dramatically in the way that we'd like to see it on a graph, but we're seeing it as we see that rise. I think that is happening. Great. Thank you, Dr. Thank you, Juan. Uh, last up, Kate. Hi. Um, I guess I wanted to just clarify really quickly and for people that are trying to reach, reach services, they would, um, you know, if they, they wanted a place to quarantine, they would contact the county call center. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. Um, so my, my question is sort of more of a big picture one. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about creation is different um, and, you know, maybe we should even be understanding it as a, a new virus. Um, you know, clearly the Delta, variant is maybe not the only variant that we're going to see. And, you know, part of this pandemic may be ongoing and evolving moving forward. Um, and so this is sort of what we know right now about this strain. But I was wondering if there's sort of any kind of general guidance that you would like to share with people around, you know, what to anticipate or prepare for over the coming months, you know, as we be adjust to the Delta variant, but potentially other variants that might be out there given just the rate of vaccine distribution globally? Yeah, that's a good question. So the more this virus rages and we see, you know, these numbers in our contact investigation, contact tracing, <clears throat> you have to understand that it's a lot more people who are getting ill and uh, this virus has a chance to multiply. And every time it multiplies, there's a chance for another variant to emerge that's stronger than the last. At this point, there have been some other variants we've heard about, but they have been totally eclipsed by the Delta variant, the original Delta variant. So you're hearing Delta Plus, that has not so far turned out to be a large number of cases when they've done the whole genome sequencing. We were worried that it would be, and we're still worried that something like that could emerge. A big concern is that what could emerge is a variant that really is escaping the efficacy of the vaccine. That would be very terrible. And we're hoping that the uh, research that's being done at the present time is actually targeting, you know, the first um, set of vaccines have targeted this spike protein on the surface of the um, viruses that attaches to the cells <clears throat> and allows the, uh, the nuclear material to be injected and do its damage in the cells. Um, and the the key with the the um, the Delta variant is that you could call it the stickiness of that spike is greater. It just invades and and uh, and injects the nuclear material much more efficiently. Um, but it may be, and so that's what the vaccines have been targeting is the the uh, proteins on that spike protein. But it may be that there are other ways to target that virus. Um, that will be more effective, not only for one variant, but for multiple variants going forward. And so that's how these um, antiviral agents, these vaccines and so forth, develop. They're not just uh, the perfect one out of the box. And um, unfortunately, um, COVID and the Delta variant have, have really brought, I would say, society to our, to our knees. 
Um, and this can happen as the Delta variant happened, not necessarily within the United States, which is relatively well vaccinated compared to the rest of the world. Look at where it happened. It happened, we think, in India, where there was a huge surge. It just whipped through that country. Um, and, uh, and then it, it, came through, it went throughout the world. Well, there are places elsewhere in the world that are very poorly uh, vaccinated, 2%, 10%. And so the the uh, the Delta variant is whipping through there, and um, and the uh, and there's much more of a possibility of variants emerging. Even within the United States, there are huge disparities between uh, states like ours that have good vaccine uh, uptake and states where it's really not being pushed out by their public health departments, or it's been poo-pooed by other people who have um, you know who have undermined the response to this virus. Uh, the same thing with masks. So every time this virus jumps and uh, multiplies, there's a possibility for emergence of another variant. And hopefully the, the uh, technology will keep up with that. And also our behaviors need to change. So we accept the importance and the efficacy of masking. Masks are really an extraordinarily uh, uh, simple, uh, uh, cheap, Maybe that's why they're not uh, accepted as much in our society, but they're inexpensive and available and they're very effective. So looking more forward than that, I, I'm not gonna speculate. Well, thanks for sharing that perspective. Thank you, Kate. Um, and that sums up today's COVID-19 update. Thank you for joining us. I'd like to give Dr. Korn an opportunity to give his concluding statements if you'd like. Well, I'll just say, as you know, and you've heard, we're at a very different uh, stage in this pandemic than we were just a few months ago or even a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and uh, we've, got, we've got a new situation on our hands, but we have some old tools that we have to dust off and really make use of and respect and, uh, and get them out there as much as they can. First of all is the vaccines. Uh, they are extremely effective and they are extremely safe and we should be using them, even though there are concerns about needing boosters or concerns about uh, breakthrough, they're nowhere uh, approaching a level where the vaccine has lost its efficacy. And secondly, the non-pharmacologic, the, the personal things that we can do in terms of wearing a mask, keeping our distances, watching, washing our hands and other forms of hygiene, those are very important. And even when we talk about masks, we've now learned that double masking would not be a bad thing, would be a useful thing for people who are immune compromised or live with immune compromised people. And also expanding the masking if, if, uh, if you can uh, to outdoors and crowded spaces. We had lots of laws and rules about gatherings in the past. People have learned them, they hated them. They need to use them as good sense in creating their own parties and and gatherings now uh, to keep that vaccine down within our communities. And I think we can do that. I think we've learned as a community, it's, it's a slow process, uh, but I think that will, that will win the day eventually if we pull together and the vaccines are taken up better. So that's all I will say to, to, uh, you know, to conclude this session. Thank you, Dr. Karn. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Dr. Karn. Our next update will be scheduled for August 20th. Please continue to follow Mendocino County Public Health on Facebook for all COVID-related updates. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. All right, that's going to do it for the County of Mendocino's public health briefing on the Delta variant of the coronavirus. 
Uh, it sounds like they are going to go back to weekly briefings, at least for the time being. I'm not sure if we will continue to carry them live, but we will uh, definitely keep you posted on that. This is Alicia Bales live at the studio here. It's KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM here on Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. For those of you who um, are really wanting more coronavirus coverage here on KZYX, tune in this Monday afternoon. At three o'clock, Dr. Drew Colfax will be here with war stories from the front lines about the latest surge in the pandemic. Uh, He's going to be live with the latest and answers to your questions. That's Monday afternoon from three to four right here on KZYX. Also, on Wednesday, August 18th, Senator Mike McGuire is holding a town hall on the Delta variant and the latest virus surge. And KZYX will broadcast this Delta Variant Town Hall live. That's Wednesday, October 18th, starting at 6.30 p.m. Should run till about 8 o'clock. So you can uh, listen to that. And also Senator McGuire has uh, various ways that you can ask questions both ahead of that town hall and also during the town hall. Uh, So that will be additional coronavirus coverage for you here on KZYX. Now that we're back to uh, actually we're back beyond numbers we've ever seen before in the course of this pandemic, it seems like uh, we need to be getting out that information. And that's going to do it for me this Friday afternoon. Have a great weekend, y'all.